ding. Hey, hey, traders, how's it going? Today is October 1st, first trading day of October, and it's a Friday. So, hey, that's great. Um, I'm your host, Nick G, contributor and futures day trader here at Wall Street IO, and this is the breakout show. You may have noticed from the prior two times we had that heavy metal intro. We're back to the normal intro because uh, markets, I feel like the volatility is just going to take a little bit of a break over the next week, possibly over the next two weeks. And uh, normally the breakout show is going to be the one op-ed opinion show, kind of a fun show here at Wall Street IO, especially heading through uh, through Friday and into the weekend here. Uh, but we're going to actually talk about markets. We're actually going to talk about a little bit of technical analysis. I have some ideas today. Uh, if you're listening in the audio pod podcast um, uh, format, which we do have working right now, in fact, um, I'm going to do my best to narrate what's going on on the screen whenever I'm sharing things here. Of course, Aaron, Aaron, lead engineer, usually my co-host, is out. He's going to be out uh, all the way through next week and then back uh, on that week of, uh, of back on October 13th. I think that's the Wednesday, uh, a couple of weeks from today, if I, if I am thinking of that correctly. Let's head over to the screen share. I want to say hey, hey to the chat room out there. Uh, usually takes a little bit of time for uh, some of the uh, uh, chat to, uh, to join us. And um, yeah, here we are on the website. I'm gonna head over to there's my face. Head over to the uh, to the main wall actually. So I'm heading over to the main wall. I want to scroll on down. I want to actually look for my own uh, posts, which I can just click on my name here and boom, here are my own posts. And there we go. Very last post that I made uh, is talking about how you can find this now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts going forward because. We primarily want to make sure that this is a show that, that um, our members can listen to. They don't have to be glued to their screens and can kind of just enjoy it uh, going forward here. Now, you know, lots of topics, lots of news floating around in the marketplace. Uh, George G, giving a little bit of a shout out there in the chat room. George G, let me know where you're checking in from. Love to, love to know where our members and our uh, chat, chat members are checking in from here. Um, News. So it seems like there were three big things this uh, this week that I can think of that everyone was worried about. And uh, if you know me, I'm I'm typically going to be that kind of guy who's diffusing bombs. So while everyone else is running around with the like a chicken with their head cut off, uh, I, I'm actually pretty cool. Right. So I, I always see things in the chat just saying like, oh, you know, this is it. This is over. You know, the end of the the bull market is is nigh, and we'll never be bullish again. And you know, we're we're just gonna end up losing all of our investment money and blah 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 blah. Right? Uh, they're talking about the Weimar Republic and hyperinflation and debt ceiling this and China bubble that. Right? So I would actually go in and kind of diffuse one by one these various bubbles. Okay, so the first one, the first one I want to think about uh, heading over here is I'm going to do a search for uh, China Evergrande, right? Because this is still still a thing, I guess, right? Uh, see, Goldman flags 8.2 trillion threat, worse than China Evergrande. Oh, okay, so that's a different article altogether. Way to go, uh, online publication for Forbes coming up with that clickbait title of the day. <laughs> I should actually make that, right? Clickbait title of the day. Um, Bloomberg, here we go, 59 minutes ago, uh, 
Evergrande is not a Lehman moment, okay? And I'm gonna click through this. I don't think I can actually access this. Uh, looks like it's a, uh, looks like it's actually a video, but I'm gonna scroll on down, see if there's anything in here. Um, so this is just saying Oxford University China Center Associates says financial markets are probably right to be relaxed about the contagion stemming from China Evergrande Group's debt crisis. And then there's a, uh, a, a uh, uh, an interview here. In fact, I don't mind copying that, pasting that into the uh, into the chat room here. And I can kind of, I without even seeing this uh, or or listening to it, I've, I've kind of read articles about this uh, before as well. And uh, I've done extensive, uh, you know, just like researching into China and what's going on over there. They have a lot of problems uh, on their front. I would not want to be the guys in charge uh, right now over in China. Um, but there's not going to be that systemic threat, right? So with China, for instance, uh, I saw some some bit of, uh, of China data news talking about how uh, there was a level of like $50 billion of uh, exposure to real estate in, I think, like 2013 or 2011. And then five years later, they looked at it and it was already down to 18 billion of exposure. And overall, overall, for the last three years, I've been seeing this from from uh, a lot of different uh, hedge fund guys, um, uh, Kyle Bass, uh, Hugh Hendry, um, and, and a lot of other uh, big macro guys. Uh, let's see here, Lacey Hunt, Dr. Lacey Hunt in there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of guys who, who have been, who are, are more into the action here. And they all pretty much agree like, hey, we, we know that all these numbers are fake. <laughs> you know, we know that there's this giant bubble in China. And so there's not a lot actually tied up into it. And I want to point out as well that in the past when Lehman crashed and when, uh, uh, when Bear Stearns crashed, uh, one of the big things that, that, that didn't really trigger anything was that they, they weren't tied into uh, municipal, municipal retirement plans. So let's think about that for a little bit. So Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, those crash. AIG gets bailed out. But why does AIG get bailed out? It's because all these municipal pensions and retirement funds are deeply tied into AIG. Now, as far as I know, and I've been saying this in the chat room, if anyone knows of uh, some big player out there who has a ton of China real estate exposure, then pipe up, put it in the chat room. I've looked, I can't find it. Um, and, you know, furthermore, uh, you know, to know whether or not there'd be some sort of bailout, we would have to see uh, th whether or not the that asset class or that uh, that institution has a lot of municipal um, pensions uh, or federal, you know, uh, retirement funds tied into it, right? Tied into it for that return. I can't find it. I'm looking, I'm looking, I just can't find it. Uh, if anything, what I've noticed is that China is actually struggling right now. So I just saw something. Um, we don't really see this news because it's pretty pretty well guarded, uh, but two thirds of China are going through blackout periods right now. So of course, the, there's the trade war happening uh, that's been happening since Trump. And everyone thought that as soon as Biden got in, uh, I heard a lot of people saying like, oh, Biden's just going to cave in and he's going to give China everything they want. And I think that China thought that too. Lo and behold, China gets in the office 
and Biden just keeps it going. The trade war has not gone away, and uh, it's become it's gotten to the point where China has to go through, they say rolling blackouts, but the reality of it, the people who are living over there right now, I feel bad for. It's very important, I've said this before, very important to separate Chinese people from the Chinese government, even Chinese people. You know, Chinese people in the U.S., for instance, are unanimous in this, hate the CCP. <laughs> they absolutely hate that government. Um, you know, the government over there, it, you know, they're doing rolling blackouts, but they just, the reality of it is they randomly just shut off power, you know, and this is happening in two thirds of the country, randomly just shut off power. And sometimes it's two hours and sometimes it's two days. Right. And so the video that I saw was this family that was in, was in an elevator and then just randomly, boom, powers out. And they'd been in the elevator at that point for four hours and they don't know when when the power is going to come back on. So really, really dire situation. One of the reasons over there is uh, is that this trade war is really starting to get to them. Right. So they they're having a, a trouble, um, you know, this their state run energy and they're having trouble um, actually keeping the lights on, right? Getting coal in, uh, into that country. There's another thing with uh, Australia. Australia recently uh, penned a deal with the U.S. and they are getting, I believe, eight nuclear submarines. So the U.S. Um, has already been taking, uh, under Biden anyway, is, is taking all these measures now to uh, restructure the Marines, for instance, for Pacific theater warfare, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, they're giving... Uh, eight nuclear subs, not giving, but they're contracting out eight nuclear subs to uh, to Australia, which is huge. Uh, and of course, there's an alliance with Britain. And so there's actually a five points defense strategy going on around the South China Sea right now with Australia, uh, England, the US, New Zealand, and one other that I can't remember right now, maybe it's Japan or something like that. Uh, to kind of stem the tide of the of the Chinese imperialism right there. So that's on top of the trade war. There is a kind of a uh, I don't know if you want to call it like a, a cold <laughs> a cold South China Sea war uh, happening kind of under the radar right now uh, as well. But that being said, the the Chinese uh, Evergrande situation. What I see happening there is that uh, China is just trying to. Um, unwind, unwind these obligations and keep it, keep from the defaulting. And then they're also going in. And I think they're, they're basically halting all of the real estate activity and <laughs> just, just kind of trying to stop this, this bubble in its tracks. And I believe one of the economists over there said, Hey, if we could just stop it in the tracks and just wait 10 years, wait it out for 10 years, then, you know, the, the way that the pricing works and the GDP works, it'll, it'll basically take care of itself. Right. Um, so it's really interesting what's going on there. So that's that's a you know, long story short. Evergrande is not going to create a contagion in the system that spreads out over into a global financial crisis. It's not tied into uh, enough other countries and their pension systems and financial systems the same way that our, you know, over leveraged toxic assets <laughs> were were the keystone to so many other Western huge civilizations circa 2007, 2008. And of course, that was just like, just ridiculous, right? Um, you know, what's up? What's up with the next thing? I think, let's see here, Nick, what do you think of all the crash talk uh, by big name guy, gurus? OTC, blah, completely, <laughs> completely just not going to happen. If I see 20% 
uh, in the next in the next um, you know 12 years, then I'm just backing up the truck for longer term positions. That's that's as simple as it is. Uh, I truly believe that we're in a secular bull uh, bull market, and that's going to last 20 years, and that it started back around 2014, right? Um, and that's that's something from the the last. Uh, breakout show, which which I'll cover again, actually. So OTC in the chat room, by the way. Uh, what else is here? Um, there's a lot of worry about what the debt, the debt ceiling, right? Debt ceiling news. Okay, so yeah, I I did a Google search. What do I see on my Google search? We have the Washington Post. Debt ceiling review at White House concluded that there are a few options. Big deal. Warren Buffett says. It's a mistake to have a debt ceiling a decade ago, <laughs> right? And then uh, CNN says why October 19th could be an, a catastrophic day for the U.S. economy. Now, uh, there was a government shutdown that was uh, that was scheduled uh, that was scheduled, I guess, to happen uh, last Thursday or yesterday. Uh, before that happened, right? Before that happened, uh, way before that happened, my call on this was. They're just gonna they're gonna extend it somehow. They're gonna they're gonna basically kick the can down the road, and it's exactly what they did. Uh, they did with the government funding. They said, "Hey, we're gonna fund the government until uh, December 3rd. And this is nothing new. So if you are new to hearing about you know debt ceilings and you know this kind of game of chicken that happens here, it happens all the time. One interesting perspective. So I try to take a more worldly perspective on this. One interesting perspective is this. There's only one other country in the world that votes on a debt ceiling, and that's Denmark, right? So every other country in the world, as long as there's uh, some bill that gets voted on and passed, if they need the money, they just go borrow the money, right? <laughs> they, they issue bonds, and boom, it's done. It's not a problem. Only in the U.S. have we decided to turn it into this, this crazy game. You know, this crazy game of chicken uh, where everybody's just, you know, holding each other hostage, right? So it's kind of ridiculous. And this is not new. I know a lot of the traders in our community are totally used to this sort of thing. So this is another bomb diffusion. Evergrande, not systemic. Just just news to sell advertisements. In fact, all news is pretty much news just to sell advertisements. Debt ceiling crisis. No big deal. We've done this so many times before. The government has actually shut down officially right because there was no uh funding agreement for months before right um and it you know sucks for people who have jobs with the government you know um but it comes back and hey great right uh you know it's just another reason to hate politicians and i hate them all equally <laughs> right um, so uh yeah i don't i don't think uh yeah i'm not, not even gonna get into the politics side of it because um, that's just infuriating, right? Uh, but as far as the debt ceiling goes, it's going to be agreed on one way or the other because uh, our national credit rating like hinges on it, right? So this is all just a bunch of show, a bunch of fluff happening here. Um, and one way or another, something will get resolved. It doesn't even matter what the outcome is. It's, it's a non-issue going forward. It's just a way to sell uh, advertisements and news headlines. Um, nothing new. Let's see. What else here? Oh, last one. So this is the big one, and it's inflation. Uh, inflation is the other big boogeyman uh, in here. And this is one that gets, like, really, really interesting, right? Um, so 
when I think of the crash like that. So inflation, let me see if I posted up something here. Uh, I may have forgotten to post up the picture, but I know I can find it. Let me see, maybe, give me just one second here. Ah, found it. <laughs> I found it. So this is from uh, from the last the last show. I just wanted to do something. So what I what I have up on uh, the screen right now for those who are you know listening to the uh, to the interview or to the uh, audio only version is a chart of the S and P five hundred, and this is a special chart because it goes back all the way to nineteen thirty, right? Nineteen twenty nine, nineteen thirty. Um, and uh, which the S&P 500 didn't exist back then, but I think this is just a, um, a, a, a kind of a formulation of what it, in theory, would have been valued at at the time, right? So there's the big crash and everything like that. Um, and then there's this white box, this white box that starts around 1945. 1945, and it starts uh, from 1945, and then it goes all the way to about um, 19... Looks like 1965. Okay, and I'm going to view. I'm going to zoom way into this. And what is this? Uh, you know, what is what is this value? So this would be a S&P value of around 75.86 is the peak, and the value started right around 17 or 20, right? Because this is a log a log scale chart. So these these intervals actually change. You know, at one point at the bottom, I have an interval between levels of uh, 17, you know, about 17 to 20. And then if I move up a little bit, right, 17 to 20 is three. Everyone can, can kind of figure that in their, in their head. If I move up a bit on the chart, the next, there's an interval that says 100 to 115, right? So you can kind of see that as we move up, these intervals get bigger and bigger and bigger. The intervals have an acceleration themselves. It's just an interesting way to, to organize things uh, because as the nominal values get bigger and bigger and bigger, then on percentage terms, uh, volatility also kind of scales bigger. So this is a way to kind of even things out a little bit. So what happened? So we had this big, big move up. You know, what happened from 1945 to 1965? Well. The prior generation, we were coming out of World War II, the prior generation was in their uh, 30s and and then, um, or, or starting, most of them were in their, their 30s or mid 30s. And when you are in life, so this is the demographic cycle theory. When you're in life from the age of 35 to 54, roughly a 20 year span, that's where most people in their life earn the most and spend the most. Right, so it's there, it's, and and also it's when their highest productivity is, right? Um, there's also uh, this idea out there of generations where there are uh, four types of uh, archetypes of generations. It's from a book by Neil Howe called The Fourth Turning. So if you if you find that on Amazon, The Fourth Turning is an awesome book. But there there's kind of this cadence of like uh, they don't say major or minor. But that's kind of how I think of it. Major and minor. Uh, generations, you know, they had this uh, this post-war generation. This is post-war generation. This is when the boomers were born, around uh, 1945 to 1965-ish, right? So they're born. 
they're not yet in their their highly predictive predictive parts of their life so around 1965 you have this this uh, uh generation coming out of war um super super productive and then they start to hit 54 and you know when you get older you're gonna start start not spending so much your your, your spending goes down velocity of money slows and then sure enough from 1965 uh all the way until gosh i can't see this uh, on the screen because the camera's blocking it um 1965 to, uh, I want to say 1980. Yeah, I think that's about right. To about 1980, you know, what's happening there? Well, right around 1980, that's whenever the first boomers really start to hit hit that peak earnings productivity, right? And so now from 1980 to about 2000, that 20-year stretch, look at what the market looks like there, okay? So the minor generation, I think, would be known as the silent generation through that period. Uh, the minor generation of, uh, of the 2000s would be um, the Gen X period. So they, you know, they're, they're Gen Xers out there uh, born, born around this time and just kind of experience a market that just goes sideways and has a ton of volatility. And then boom, now we're at the next major uh, generation is going to be the millennial generation. And most of them were born right right around here right at, right towards the ascendancy of the boomer secular bull that's when most of the uh, millennials were born and most of them are turning 35 uh, around this this 2014-2015 area right here and sure enough boom now we're continuing that cycle now at the very very top of this cycle around 19 uh, around 2034 um, you know would imply if it holds up would imply something in the neighborhood of uh, uh, SPX 10,000, maybe even 11,000, right, on the on the high end there, and that would be over <laughs> over the next uh, 12 more years, right? So that's pretty interesting. You know, you can you can look at this lens. You can say like, okay, well, what about hyperinflation? What about crazy inflation uh, that was happening um, around the late 70s? Of course, there's oil, that OPEC thing, uh, there was lumber, all all sorts of uh, crazy inflation, market just went sideways, right? And eventually that solved itself and boom, now we're up. You know, boom, 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 things taken off. Um, you know, what's interesting about this is uh, a lot of this boom, this this uh, uh, move up was uh, was credited to supply side economics. Um, and then over over the, the history, now we can look back over the history and kind of look at it and see if that was actually true. It wasn't true, <laughs> right? <laughs> and is there supply side economics over here in 2014? Nah, not really. I mean, you know, uh, I guess maybe one of the big thing, things is um, the Fed is a little bit more active. But regardless of the why, here we are. We're, we're moving up. So I actually like, I like this idea. I love that book. And I I'm, I'm going to tend to think of things in that in that lens, and then around uh, 2034 uh, time period is when when I think truly uh, the market has a more statistical chance of running into these big volatile sell-offs, and you know, um, uh, and of course, you know, these huge sell-offs. If you can if you can get in on one of them, are extremely profitable. Uh, now, you know. On a log chart, it looks kind of interesting. Um, I'm looking at 1987. Of course, there was a big 27% or sorry, 20% sell-off in a day. I can see that visually on the chart here. And on a log chart, it doesn't seem that bad, right? But that was huge. And I'm also looking at this, uh, you know, fast forward to the COVID dip. 
And on the on the log logarithmic chart, the the COVID dip top to bottom looks about the same as the um, uh, as the 1987 one day crazy crash, right? Uh, on the chart, that 1987 uh, Black Monday or Black Friday, I forget what it was called. I think it was Black Monday crash. Um, you know, so so just to put that into perspective, um, yeah, we can still. I think I think it's still in the uh, within the market's ability to have a 20 to 30% correction during this 12 years. I wouldn't put that out of uh, uh, out of mind, but overall, overall the long long view picture, I think uh, the market just keeps on, um, you know, charging you know charging higher over time. That's what I that's what I think. And then uh, everyone else uh, on the guru side. Um, you know, the only the only immediate correlation I've ever found to to uh, uh, tops and bottoms in the market um, as a good predictor is the liquidity of the credit markets. And, uh, you know, one of the best canaries in the coal mine for that is uh, is the repo market. So when you talk about the repo market, uh, what what I want to be worried about when I see this repo market, I know I'm repeating myself a lot from last Wednesday's episode, but um, you want to see a good balance of cash and collateral, right? And, and what actually happened recently was that uh, the amount of cash that can be um, put into the repo markets was doubled recently. So now a single individual who wants to put up their, their cash for short-term loans can, can put in at least up to $160 billion, right? $160 billion. That's, that's a lot, right? Um, and it recently showed, uh, you know, we had a, a day last Thursday, September 23rd, uh, demand of $1.3 trillion, right? So there's there's a lot, there's a lot in there. So now now that there's more money that can yeah, can uh, be available for liquidity, uh, for those, um, for those, uh, for industry to, to, um, uh, to borrow against that commercial paper market, as they call it, right? Um, that just, loosens up a ton of liquidity. I mean, it's business as usual <laughs> going going forward for here. So without this repo market uh, having to have tons of money pumped into it, so the Fed, that's another thing. The Fed isn't pumping money into it. In fact, what happened is that the Fed pumped too much money into the financial system uh, over the COVID dip period, and now they're taking it out. They're trying to create a balance because you, you don't want to be overly collateralized and uh, underfunded, but you don't want to be overfunded overfunded and under collateralized. So it's a big balancing act uh, on the Fed side. And um, it, whatever you think of, of Powell or how much you want to hate the Fed, he's doing a great job at keeping the, the credit markets liquid, <laughs> right? And that's just my opinion. I can't do it. I mean, you know, I'm just a guy on the sidelines, uh, you know, playing, playing um, uh, backseat driver. What is it? Uh, Monday quarterback or something like that, whatever the, the term is. Um, just want to check in here with the chat room because I'm doing a lot of talking here. But if there's anything, any kind of story you want to talk about, put it into the chat room. Uh, we can kind of talk about things. This is just about any story in and around the world of trading. Um, if there's, if I don't see any uh, comments in there, then I'm just going to keep on rolling ahead uh, and talk about spy for now. So boom, spy here. Um, you know, kind of Kind of thinking about that, um, thinking about uh, recently, you know, after a big dip like this, right? After a big dip like the COVID dip, um, what's what's kind of happened? You know, what's kind of happened in the markets? If if we actually go back, you can you can see in the '60s where there were like these really big dips. 
the what I'm focused on is what happened after the recovery of those dips. What kind of market uh, was experienced in that time, and how much how much did the market correct afterwards in the in the one or two years afterwards, right? And actually, what I find is that coming out of a serious dip like the like the COVID dip. Um, most of the time, there there are not in the in the next two two years. I'm going to say that in the next two years, there's not really a market downturn, like a serious market downturn, right? Um, now now around three around year three or four, yeah, you can you can find a dip, but then you come out of that, and again one two, you don't have this huge retracement. So I think a lot of uh, a lot of traders might be tempted to say, hey, we're going to come all the way back down uh, to the top of the of the pre-covid dip which would be right here uh spy i think that's like spy 340 something or spy 380 something right uh, but history anyway says that that's that's maybe not very likely okay um looks like it happened uh looks like it happened a little bit after 1987 but overall market recovered boom Right, uh, I can see a dip here around 1998. That was actually uh, the collapse of long-term capital management. That was a huge one. That that was a that was a hedge fund with a ton of U.S. Um, uh, U.S. pension funds tied up into it. Right, so that got bailed out and boom, right, up and up and up. Okay, uh, we can keep on going here. What do we got over here? Uh, boom, there was this nothing burger crash back over here <laughs> this is around uh, 20 2015 i want to say 2014 2015 area nothing burger kind of crash uh in the markets trying to get back down into this um this chop zone the 16 or 20 year the 16 year chop zone from uh 2000 to about 2016 i guess um it was around there yeah, kind of neat. Uh, so kind of knowing that, I mean, I could imagine a market that goes sideways, for instance. Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, anything can happen. Uh, you know, there's a market where maybe maybe there is a big sell off and maybe uh, maybe it can get down to uh, thirty six fifty one. But history kind of shows that even if that were true, uh, it's, you know, after after coming out of such a serious dip, it's probably going to take a very long time, like over a year to experience that kind of that kind of dip, you know, or into next year. It's, uh, typically, it's not the very first thing, the very first big dip after coming out. Um, you know, so I'm I'm expecting anyway next year to be either choppy or slightly bullish um, and then uh, a correction year maybe maybe possible in that third year. So so that would be uh, 2023, <laughs> maybe finally finally get a year where there can be uh you know some some proper chop or a proper uh, uh 20 or 30 percent um sell-off right so if i kind of just science of my eyeballs like pretend like okay maybe the market gets up to right around here which would be uh, right around uh, spx 5000 and then maybe it can can uh then correct down to uh you know all the way back down to say 4000 right or maybe even higher there have like a 20% correction or or something like that right uh, but it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be difficult in my opinion to to really get the market to roll over Do -do -do. that said you know uh, I'm not gonna get any credit for just saying that long term uh, the market 
the market's going to go up. <laughs> uh, I will say that uh, yesterday was in the chat room. Uh, market closing really, really weak yesterday, and uh, and I was I was picking up longs. And of course, we open up this morning. It's the new month. Part of my thinking here is is and then this is going to sound so dumb, but if I if I load up, so I'm looking at the chart for the audio listeners. Of course, there was a low of the month uh, in spy. Uh, around, let's see, low of the month, uh, 428.86. And then uh, there was a bounce, like a five-day bounce, and then it resumed into the very last day of the month. Looked super, super weak, right? And we got down to a low of uh, 428.78, right? So it's just like right in line with that. Um, and it closed down there, right? Closed out uh, the month on the lows. Um, if I load up a monthly chart, so I always keep this in the back of my head. We load up a monthly chart, right? And I look back at the first big red month uh, after after a, a series of months up. You know, what typically happens is the next month, if I look at the tail of the next month, it extends well into the range of that prior first month down. So even if, this is my thinking, even if uh, October ends up being a bearish month, it's it's very likely, in my opinion, for... Uh, at least the beginning of the month to actually retrace into the body of that prior month, right? There's just there's not a lot of times in the history of the the, the spy where the next month opens and it just heads straight down off of you know so so that we have two bearish months that have zero overlap with each other. Now there are. On the flip side, there are uh, there are several instances where there's a close of the month on the spy, and the next month opens and just it's completely up, trades completely outside of the range of the previous month, right? Here's another one. Like I'm looking at my chart that happened between um, October 2019 to uh, November 2019, right? Those two months, just looking at those two months, zero overlap between the range of those months. It's like just stair step, like pure stair step on the monthly candles. And the same thing I'm looking at right here uh, with July 2020 and August 2020. Boom, zero overlap. And this is not hard to find. I mean, here's one uh, November 2020 and uh, 12 2020. Now, you you could say like, oh, there is a little bit of overlap. But if you're looking at this, I mean, it is a very tiny bit of overlap in the entire range of the month. I I would I would go so far as to say 80% or more of the entire um, uh, subsequent month of, of, uh, of December 2020 is outside of the range above and upside of the ra- outside of the range of the November month, right? And uh, I mean, here we go again, uh, March of 2021 into April of 2021, right? Boom, just two months straight up, not even trading along with each other. You can imagine uh, a short looking at this thinking like, oh gosh, you know, surely, surely the next month will retrace, right? And they'd be completely wrong. So, <laughs> so if, you, if you're short and you're you're using monthly candles, I mean, you have to know that that uh, there's very little little chance of a graceful exit. Um, meanwhile, if you are short, um, if you're long, and you have a very you know after a series of green months, you have the first green month down, right? If you're long, there's a very good chance that you're gonna retrace deep into that prior month so just just eyeballing it you know what do you see out there if you if you're looking at this in the community um then 
September of 2021, the body of that is around 452 for SPY, and the body ends near the low around 429, right? 29 to 52. Uh, where do you think it's likely, even if this thing turns around and, complete, and completely goes bearish, where do you think it's likely that it could possibly, prices could possibly get up to? Um, I'm, I'm looking back across the range, and to me, this 440 thing seems like the prime uh, prime um, retracement kind of liquidity area, right? Boom. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of ways to think about this too. Maybe somebody was long. Maybe somebody was looking at that and they went long around that area. And now they're just dying to get out of their position. So boom, if it gets up to there, you know, they can be met with those traders who, uh, who are wrong sided. And now they're, they're a little nervous. They don't want to they don't want to see red in their account and they're going to be waiting there with the you know hitting the sell button to get out of their long positions right so they you could have we could have some resistance there and boom it could just keep on going going lower uh, another thing i'm going to take a look at uh here and i'll, I'll mention this in the um uh, for those who are listening in i'm going to change my indicators i'm going to change my indicators to oops hold on a second i accidentally made a mistake here um let me add this let me get rid of some of these Boom, boom, boom. Keltner, I have to get this all back. Okay, Oops. accidentally deleted something I shouldn't have. There we go. So this is all right. Off, good. So I'm gonna just load in. I want to load in some normal moving averages on the monthly. You know, and I'm gonna look at this. And one thing I notice is that you know, in a really uh, bullish market, you still have uh, at least a visit down to this eight monthly EMA. Right, and that that really hasn't happened uh, all year long. <laughs> as a matter of fact, here we go. I was talking about that really strong November from 2020, and then all year we haven't had a single month all year able to even retrace back down to this uh, or break through this eight uh, this eight um, EMA on the monthly scale. Right, so you know I'm thinking that. One possibility is that uh, you know spy pushes up in the early part of the month, you know, right around to the you know middle of the range-ish area of uh, of September, and then I think there's a decent chance uh, that it could it could roll over and finally explore new lows, right? Um, so you know just just looking at this, uh, I'm thinking uh, maybe maybe 410, 412 or something like that um, is possible, and then after that, uh, you know, I'm just getting into the to some laws of numbers as, a, as as to what's possible. Maybe it could get down to the 21 EMA. I don't really know at that point, right? Um, but what I am interested in, uh, just because if I, if I look at the historical performance of the SPY, so I'm gonna go to 10 years, I'm gonna load up, uh, I'm gonna go back to crosshairs, I'm gonna load up a seasonality chart. You know, here we go. Um, over the last 10 years, uh, the SPY has been um, overall bullish in October, right? Uh, I wouldn't say say um, crazy, crazy bullish or anything like that. Uh, it has had some down, some downsides, and it has had some some upsides. But overall, October and November have been pretty reliable as bullish months, and then December is is kind of a mixed bag as well. Over the last 10 years, anyway. Uh, and then, you know, we're into January, you know, January, Feb. Um, I think those are kind of rotational months. And then uh, I, I always think of like from April to August to me uh, is is like 
prime prime uh, growth stock <laughs> period. You know, growth stock uh, months would be from uh, from April to, to August, right? And there are a lot of growth stocks that uh, that do really well um, in that period for whatever reason. Um, and then August, September is whenever that weakness starts to, to starts to come through. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm looking around these months. I'm looking at weakness, and I'm I'm looking to to build my own personal positions in leaps for spy. Uh, and cash flowing those through into the last into the into next year. Now I'm going to put up that big disclaimer here, right? Big disclaimer: uh, I am not a trade advisor, right? So uh, even though I am I am looking at uh, January 23 leaps on spy, uh, I'm not going to say which ones, right? Uh, but I'm looking at those, and I'm with the intent to cash flow them. Um, don't take your trading advice from me. Actually, look at the charts, do your own research, and if it sounds like a good idea, make your own decision on that. Uh, I'm just another trader in the community, and I'm always happy to share my ideas going forward. So, there we go. Uh, I also have a, a really cool thing, um, you know, uh, uh, in the works here, and I think uh, I think maybe Micah. I want to show it to to Micah around um, uh, payday cycles and stuff like that. I think I think the community will find it really really interesting. You know, uh, what else? What else is happening in the market? Uh, I'm just gonna hop over to the chat room, see what's going on there. OTC, hey, how's it going? Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, uh, it's never, it's never again impressive to hear somebody just talk about how markets are still gonna be generally up, you know, over the next uh, next 12 years and, and how they just plan on buying 20% dips if they happen, right? It's just not. It's not as fun. It's not as, uh, as sexy an analysis. Um, I know that Kathy and I were in the chat room uh, yesterday talking about how uh, today would be possibly be um, you know reaction day uh, coming up. So that's that's kind of playing out. That's really cool to see it actually playing out. Um, you see, uh, I like I have some uh, some credits, some some put credit on um, uh, on spy, and I also have some uh, a, a much smaller debit position uh, to the upside on spy. Uh, as well, that's how I'm, how I'm playing through this over the next uh, couple weeks. Um, I did want to talk about something called the. Uh, it's an idea from uh, the George Taylor trading method, and this guy uh, was an old old floor trader from like the 1950s and 1960s, um, and he had this idea around. Um, you know, I call it melt up markets, right? Uh, Sanjay asking a real quick question. Sanjay in the in the chat saying, "When are you looking to exit your longs?" Uh, Sanjay. I'm just looking to uh, to exit my longs um, uh, right around here. See where see where the 20. I'm on the daily chart. There's a uh, all of the the 8 EMA, the 21 EMA, and the 50 EMA are all pointed down to the downside. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking to start to start taking profits uh, right here around that 440 area. Although, although uh, I do think that there's a potential. So there's there's two ways I think of this as happening. Uh, one way or another, getting up to this 440. I don't know if it's next week or the week after, um, but part of me suspects that what's going to happen with SPY. Part of me suspects that uh, it wants to actually come up here, and you know what would be the most confusing thing, I think, for traders on this. I think the most confusing thing would be if SPY managed to crack this this prior move up from the day, like SPY had this five-day rally up. One, two, three, four, five. I guess the fifth day didn't didn't make a new high, but it had about a five day rally, and it got all the way up to a high of 
444.89, so right under 445, just a hair, just a hair, just barely missed it. And I'm thinking of a scenario that would confuse everyone where maybe SPY gets up into this 440, maybe has a little bit of chop, but then maybe just has these really, really low volatility, lots of overlap between the days, and it finally just like peaks, peaks above this 445 area, and then just uses that as, as kind of the, the uh, area to, to find some liquidity, um, burn off, and then boom, that kind of fuels, you know, uh, gets, gets, the, uh, 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 gets a crowded short, <laughs> like beats a crowded short, uh, you know, like loosens up those, those short hands in the market, those bearish hands, and then boom, plummets back down and creates a new low, <laughs> new monthly low, right? I think that would just be, uh, I think that would that would just frustrate anyone. Can you imagine that happening, right? How frustrating that would be, you know, and say, thinking to yourself like, oh yeah, look over this past year, look how many times there've been double bottoms over this last year, uh, you know, like little fake outs happening all year long and then boom, all time highs, all time highs, all time highs. Here's a double bottom, all time highs after that, all time highs just over and over and over again. Can you imagine? just coming over here, peaking just a little bit above, and how many people would think to themselves, oh my gosh, I fell for a bear market again, this thing is going to all-time highs, and then have it turn over <laughs> and go to the south. You know, I bring that up, I wanna bring that up because August, September, October are, over the last 70 years, now we have 10 years of data here on the site, but over the last 70 years, those are the most volatile months in history for for uh for the for the spy going back 70 years right all the way back to the 1950s so so it's no it, it doesn't take much imagination to just if you know if you have these crazy kind of bearish scenarios there's a much higher statistical probability of those bearish scenarios or bearish price action to happen or even partially happen in these months right um, August, the way that August was uh, was starting back. So let me head back to August. I'm looking at August on my chart here. And boom, it came down and boom, that, that triggered off something. The way that August had a, uh, this this move down, and this is something I'm gonna talk about, the George Taylor method. Um, and this is something, you know, uh, Larry Williams repeats this, John Carter repeats this, um, and uh, Linda, Linda Bradford Rashke uh, <laughs> repeats this. Like all these big names repeat this. It's just this thing. It's this pattern that's seen in in traditionally up markets that happens over and over and over again. This is the pattern. It, it's specifically for spy, for spy in the indexes, right? But but mainly for spy is what I found. Just imagine that we have uh, a day that is a bearish day, right? And then there needs to be another day. I'd say the next day or within within the three days, but there needs to be another day, hopefully the next day. And I'm gonna characterize this as a day where the body, the body of the candle makes a good extension past that first bearish day. And this bearish day is coming off of like, you know, near, near a high of a peak or something like that. So the body of the next day can't be like this, right? So uh, I'm drawing this, uh, for those listening, I drew this this rectangle, and now I have this smaller like square that's within the body, that's kind of an inside day. That doesn't count. That doesn't officially count. There needs to be the body of the next, of, of a candle has to be very, very close to within the, within the day or two uh, that extends where the body is extending beyond 
that that first primary down body, right? Okay, so so from that from that vantage point, either either there can be a long, or even better if the next day opens and creates a, a new a new low very soon, right? Very soon, um, then then that's a nice uh, entry point too, because typically what happens is it just recovers. It recovers and becomes regressive. Now, whether or not that that regression uh, becomes productive, meaning higher highs and higher lows over the next few days, is not really not really what the the floor traders are interested in anyway. These old floor traders, they're just interested in grabbing that that one high probability regression that uh, panics all of the shorts out of their positions and it creates a, a, a stop rally, right? Maybe it does, maybe it does uh, come up. I found that uh, when markets are are very, uh, you know, kind of melt up, they're all melt up, very bullish, that if you get this two, I'll call it two extensions days down within a very close proximity to each other, and then a third day is a gap, a gap open lower, oh my gosh, that third day is just an awesome day to buy, right? Um, so what happens over here? Well, we have this this kind of uh, prior um, move, this recovery, this regression uh, move up from September 20th all the way up to, uh, what is this? September 24th, I'm gonna try and be as descriptive as possible. September 20th, I mean, this thing is a gap open lower day, uh, way outside of the range of all those prior um, moving averages beyond the 50, beyond the eight, the, the 21, everything, just, just a shock of a day that ends with a buying tail and then boom right back up into this into this cluster of uh, of averages it just regresses right back in there all right so then now what right we have a pretty pretty boring um pretty boring day on uh on monday which so we go from the 24th to monday it's kind of an inside day on monday and what, do we, what happens then well we have a true push down on the 28th Right, so on Tuesday, then there's an inside day, and then we get another true push down on um, uh, on Thursday, right? And so this is the two two pushes down. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, two strong pushes. It just have to be. I just have to see a body that extends past the that first initial body by a decent amount, and then uh, either that creates an interesting long uh, for a very short regression trade or the next day, just a quick little break in the morning, and then right back up into this into this range, um, creates an interesting entry for a scalp. So this is like a scalp swing trade most of the time. That's what happened here in uh, in August. I love this trade. Uh, this just trade was was excellent, right? Uh, August we have this day uh, where you know it's up on the 16th, all time highs. Next day dips down, dips down, pushes, pushes all the way down, a full range extension lower, happens to end higher. And then the next day, full range extension lower, it finally just uh, extends way past. So those are like two extension days. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, if this next day opens and it just pushes lower, then I'm, I'm gonna go long. Or if, or my dream of dreams is just gap open lower. And that's exactly what happens. Gap open lower and then boom, that becomes the rubber band all the way back to all-time highs. That's how August ended. Usually a rubber band move like this doesn't doesn't undo itself very very quickly. Um, you know, outside of the most the most volatile markets imaginable. Um, you know, but yeah, sure enough, August finishes out the month like very very strong and I I attribute it to this to this to this um, 
August 17th, 18th into uh, uh, 19th kind of recovery. After that, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I figured it would be a little bit uh, too much to expect it to finish week after that. Um, so that pushed things out to September and boom, I'm just playing, I'm just thinking of probabilities. Like what's the probabilities of some bearishness finally rearing its head uh, during a year that's not bearish at all, right? And that's that's basically what's happening uh, here. Now this, what's awesome, of course, the, this is like uh, just technical analysis um, that has just been around forever. I don't know if it's, uh, that it's widely distributed, but um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting way to look at SPY, to look at SPY, right? I mean, look at this, what do we got? Uh, a day lower, one day lower, two days lower, and then sure enough, we get that third extension down here. Um, you know, I think uh, somewhere, anywhere around here, This you could also just say like, oh, hey, uh, super bullish market, maybe the 50 moving average is providing uh, uh, support because that's certainly what it's looked like here. Uh, we are now well below the 50 moving <laughs> average though and hanging out there um, currently with the SPY. And I think that has to do uh, largely with um, the condition of the monthly chart, right? Going back to this monthly chart, uh, for those in the podcast, um, you know, August ended very, very far, very divergent, <laughs> very far above uh, the level of the eight uh, exponential monthly, right? Very, very far above. Um, and so to me, this is just backfilling, if anything else. Uh, and it happens to be during September and October. Right, Sanjay saying, so this is a, a potential bounce, even to 445 uh, still, and then we're still heading back down. Sanjay, yeah, uh, afterwards, I mean, afterwards, I don't know that I'm super confident about the timing of when things could possibly head back down. You know, I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe it gets up here and then it just, it really does just hang out there forever, you know, all the way through November, no big pullbacks or anything like that, and then finally takes off. Um, I get I get a feeling very similar to uh, this this feeling back here in um, uh, twenty you know twenty uh, uh, nineteen <laughs> where so I this this frustrated me to no end twenty nineteen around October and around uh, uh, around um, August anyway in twenty nineteen there was just this time there was just this time where where I was waiting for it to finally hit the 200 day moving average and it just would not do it. Wouldn't do it no matter what, <laughs> you know. Um, interestingly enough, it did touch the 200 day um, in the overnight session for, for, for ES. For ES and for SPY it did. Of course, SPX is only open during the regular day, uh, regular hours during the day, the cash cash session, the open market session. Um, and it in and, and SPX didn't really hit from uh, August 6, 2019, all the way to uh, 10, 10 October 3rd, 2019. There was just this consolidation period. Uh, you can fast forward to coming out of the COVID dip uh, as well. Boom, look at this. Uh, very, very strong end to August on the SPY. And then boom, sell off, sell off all the way uh, in, in um, September, sell off all the way till late uh Late September, although there was a, a bounce on that, then then we, uh, you know, September ends, um, let's see, September 30th ends up into its averages. And then uh, for the first first week or two, it actually um, has this regression up to highs, you know, ending around uh, 
let's see, August or so October 12th of 2020, and then starts a sell-off period all the way back down, kind of, kind of freaking everyone out. Again, I place myself in this scenario, right, where I'm looking at the charts. And I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, there's the 200-day right down there. Oh man, if the spy just gets down there, then I'm ready. I'm ready to pull the trigger, and then boom, that's that's taken away from me, right? So that happened back here. It's very frustrating. Happened back here around the most volatile months of 2019. Happened back here around the, the historically most volatile months of 2020. And here we are again. Here we are again at uh, 2021. And I'm, I'm wondering to myself, is it going to finally get to this 200? I don't know. I don't know if it is, right? I just don't know if, it, if it's going to be able to, to get down, uh, down into that area. So now I'm looking at it thinking to myself like, well, maybe it can uh, rise again. And what... What do I think it's going to rise into? Well, I'm going to think it's going to rise into and ahead of OPEX, right? Um, so there is an OPEX effect, especially this year, especially more and more since, say, 2015, 2014 or something like that. What's happened in the market is um, options activity has increased so, so much uh, to the point where if you, were to take, if you were to take the open interest in SPY, for instance, uh, SPY and SPX, and you were to calculate the nominal value, the nominal risk value represented by the open contracts that have been issued, uh, that has varied anywhere from around uh, the mid-25 percentile range all the way up to, I think at one point it was like 38% of the value of the entire S&P, right? So we're talking trillions of dollars tied up into leverage. Um, so kind of the joke now is that uh, stocks, stocks and in the, in, in the ETF in the market are suddenly the hedge for options. So it's all backwards, right? Because of course, options are a hedge to the underlying. It's not supposed to be the other way around. Um, roll with it. That's what I say. If that's the truth, I'm going to roll with it. And one of the things I'm going to roll with is the idea of uh, OPEX, and I'm also going to roll with the idea of Wednesday VIX rollover, right? So what's Wednesday, Wednesday VIX rollover? Why is that important? Uh, because there is a rollover effect in VIX. VIX is based on uh, the front month and the back month combined of VIX futures, right? That's The spot price is generated off of that. That rollover date is the third Wednesday of every month. And so ahead of it, Either ahead of or immediately after that event, there's a dislocation in price in the market as uh, as the uh, all of the hedges attached to the market in ETFs and of course a lot of institutions uh, hedge giant portions of their portfolio with ETF uh, based um, uh, ETF based options, right? So that dislocation actually has an effect on SPY, on SPX, on all of it, you know. Uh, one one other interesting note is let's think about this further. OPEX most most of the time I think for most years the third Wednesday happens before the third Friday. Of course, third Friday is the is uh, OPEX for the monthlies, but not always. If the month starts on a Thursday or a Friday, then technically that Wednesday is going to be after. <laughs> it's going to be after the uh, uh, after the OPEX, and so that that creates in my head. What that creates is this interesting limbo, um, uh, limbo week where 
you know, uh, there's this weird dislocation. I, you know, I've, I've been paying attention this year anytime that happened. Um, and it seems to be to create, it's almost like this gap week where if in my chart, if I were to just take away that week, then the the next week actually makes a lot more sense, right? Like like significant targets are hit. Uh, there is, there's maybe a, ch uh, a reversal that happens that I can see on the weekly. And then there's just this weird, anytime that happens, you know, and I bring this up because October is like this. October has its, its VIX rollover Wednesday. The third Wednesday is after the third Friday. So uh, I, I'm expecting this weird, <laughs> this kind of weird activity stock where the, where the market's just waiting just waiting for hedges to like come off so we can make a decision and do something. Um, yeah, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm planning on, on, um, uh, getting out of positions or starting to sell credit against my leaps, um, on a regression much higher. I'm looking at the market. It just keeps on moving higher and higher and higher, uh, to close out, close out this week. Right. So I'm still, still thinking in the next week or two that it's just going to keep on, uh, it's going to be in regression mode. It's going to be in regression mode. Uh, needs, I think it uh, might lull a lot of traders into a false sense that hey, this is all volatility is gone. Um, and I'm not specifically trying to look to go short. Um, you know, uh, right before opex, I'm not. I'm not really thinking that way. Um, if it happens, then I'm open. I'm open to considering a short position. But I would rather actually sit back and see if the market can get down to that 420 area uh, or even just crack 420. Because if it does, then I'm, I'm more interested in adding uh, personally to my own leaps uh, at, that, at that time or taking uh, long positions because in that scenario, I'm thinking that uh, that November actually ends up being a recovery month once again uh, for, for markets and for a whole basket of stocks, right? Um, even growth stocks. So I'll be looking at considering and looking at the Microsofts and the Apples and stuff like that. Um, that's a lot of talk. That's a lot of uh, technical analysis talk here. Uh, I, I hope that this works in a podcast format. I hope I was descriptive enough with the, uh, with the um, uh, charts here, uh, talking about, you know, where it might regress to. Um, you know, SPY currently has its 200-day around 412. We are currently in a bounce mode. We started the day. We had a low 427 on SPY. Now we're all the way up to uh, 435 on spy wow go 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 spy um you know especially since uh since i went long on that uh weakness of yesterday around the 430 um 430 area um very very uh, happy with this result uh hey if you are in the community um uh, you know shoot me a reply to this uh to any of my posts and i'll see them um and thanks for, for tuning in. Again, Aaron's not going to be here for Wednesday or Friday next week, but I do hope to get uh, Jake Pelly in. Jake uh, said he might be available for Wednesday, and getting the two of us in the same room in conversation is crazy. We might have to block out like two hours uh, to talk about it because we both follow things like the Fed and the repo markets and China and inflation. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because because while I am the, the constant bomb diffuser, Jake uh, is is more along the lines of entertaining like, oh, no, this really could be the end. Right. And either one of us could be right on that, you know, um, so it always makes for a good conversation. Uh, I'll see you next week. Until then, everyone have a great weekend.